Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to talk about two of this month's biggest new movie releases. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor, Marjorie Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, HT, you have written two reviews that I want to talk to you about today. The The rest of the news is, uh, you know, a little lackluster, a couple of little, you know, interesting things here and there, but um, I, I figured... The, the reviews that you just published on the site are big enough uh, and sort of centering on movies that are big enough that a lot of people are going to care about this. And so I wanted to, to just ask you on the podcast to see if you could uh, walk me through your thoughts on The King's Man and Spider-Man No Way Home. So I think since Spidey is probably the more anticipated of the two, let's save that one until later. So uh, tell me what you thought about The King's Man. The King's Man is very much a Kingsman movie in that you enjoy yourself as you're watching it. You think, wow, this is so stylish and fun and bombastic. And then as you get away from it, you think, wow, that was a deeply troubling plot that feels a little bit like some sort of 4chan thread or some sort of alt-right uh, rallying cry. Oh, no. Wow, that's that's pretty strong. Well, um, do you remember like the plots of any of the Kingsman movies, Ben? So I, I've talked about this recently. I tapped out probably 15 or 20 minutes into the second movie. I just mm-hmm. never went back and finished that because I hated everything about what was going on in that so yes. much. Um, but the first movie, I really remember liking that a lot when it came out. That was, what, 2015 or something. That was many years ago at this point. Yeah, um, I remember liking the I, first one a lot too. But then I was kind of re- like doing some of my research, background research while do- working in on this review for The King's Man, which is a prequel to the Kingsman franchise. And I remembered that the Kingsman's uh, villains for the first film were environmentalists. I did not remember that. I remember there being this thing about cell phones that make people's heads explode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not re- remember the environmentalist subplot. But yeah, if they're the villains, that's a that's a choice. <laughs> yes, that's a choice. There's a lot of choices that are made in this franchise. But 
the thing is, Matthew Vaughn really kind of directs the hell out of them. Even if this film is really totally confused and bizarre in a way that the other Kingsman movies aren't. And in that way, it's kind of refreshing because it's not really a spy movie. The first two Kingsman movies are very much like gentleman spy send-ups of the James Bond movies, etc. And this one is very much a war film. It's specifically a World War I film. And it gets almost as grim and dark as your uh, prestige World War I films. There's even a couple of scenes and sequences that feel like they're ripped uh, directly from 1917. Um, but yeah, and it's, it gets very somber for long stretches of this film to the point where I thought, huh, I wonder if the Kingsman franchise is uh, you know, maturing. It's turning a new leaf. It's not this kind of edgy, edgelord, um, hyper-violent sort of franchise that is I had fun with the first time, but I'm starting to tire of. But then it kind of goes back to the cartoonish superhero antics of it all, including Rasputin being this uh, supervillain who can, you know, do crazy things and dances (laughs) and and, and dance fights and licks Rafe Fiennes. Like, it's a very strange movie. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, I I mean, uh, I have not rewatched the any of the Kingsman movies in a little while, but I don't remember there being real people involved in them before. And this movie, I guess, makes the I don't know if you would call it interesting, but makes the choice of incorporating real life figures into this movie. And I read your review right before we started recording, and you mentioned it sort of like Forrest Gumps its way through you know several key events in in world yeah. history. Um, what did you make of that choice in particular to sort of blend the uh, that sort of stylish, you know, stylish um, comic book action stuff with like grounded actual real world events. That was one of my less favorite parts of the film, honestly, because where Forrest Gump has the the back backup of sentimentality going into it, where it, it, these insertions of this character into history don't feel too gauche. Uh, it feels quite gauche here. <laughs> um, it just there's there's this. Um, basically like a grand conspiracy that uh, takes that for which all of these world events and tragedies um, are connected back to. And it's, I think feels a little bit like undermining of like the complexities and the realities of what into what went into the, like, this real history. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, fault a movie for doing that. If it's, I guess a comic book movie, basically it's like a, it's a, it's a, action film but even so it just kind of felt a little bit i don't know um insensitive Mm. okay so so it sounds like the i mean yeah you were used words in your review like deeply troubling plot um so it it sounds like there there are definitely some issues in in terms of uh things that people might butt butt up against um on on a plot level what about on a performance level what did you think about the uh the actors like ray fines take or is it fines or fine i don't remember how you pronounce it fines i'm pretty sure right um, so how does he handle the uh, the spotlight in this one? You don't typically think of him as an action hero, much in the same way you didn't really think of, um, uh, God, who was in the first Kingsman Colin movie? Yeah, Colin Firth. No, Colin Firth. Colin Firth. Colin Sorry. Firth, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, in yeah. the same way. So does he uh, sort of acquit himself well in the lead role here? Yeah, I actually really liked Ray Fine's performance here. And there's the central father-son dynamic between him and Harris Dickinson's character that I found to be genuinely moving uh and a really good emotional core of the film and he plays sort of like a a really great aged 
protagonist whom you don't really expect to see sort of take up arms again. And a lot of the time he spent trying to shelter his son from the realities of the world. And to see him kind of step up and be this unusual type of hero, I really enjoyed seeing that. And he, you know, isn't as slick even as Colin Firth is in the role because uh, in the first Kingsman, because that's all about these super spies who've been trained to be super spies. And in a lot of the King's man, they're not really spies. They're really just kind of stumbling their way through history and trying to stop these major events from happening. Mm -hmm. And Ray Fiennes actually gets to kind of play a little bumbling sometimes, but also be, you know, an action hero. So it's really, he's a, he gives a great performance. And you mentioned Rasputin earlier, the, the famed uh, character from Russian history. And Reese Fons is playing this character. And uh, I mean, from the trailers, it sort of seems like he's really going for it. What did you he's, make of that performance? Yeah, he's really going for it. He's, he gives an incredibly unhinged, uh, insane performance as Rasputin. Definitely an MVP, even if the depiction I was just I wasn't I wouldn't say I was the fondest of of the depiction but also you know it's it was Reese Fons going going crazy so <laughs> it was so that, there may be some pleasures to be had <laughs> exactly I think if you liked uh the Kingsman movies you will like the Kingsman there's definitely a corollary corollary there between what you enjoy in the Kingsman movies uh it's just kind of amped up in the Kingsman Okay. All right. So that movie comes out, uh, what is it, this Friday? Is that right? Indeed. Um, I'm pretty sure. I should know this, shouldn't I, Ben? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'll double check. But while while I do that, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about Spider-Man No Way Home? This is like arguably going to be, uh, I think a lot of people have predicted this is going to be the biggest movie of 2021. Uh, there's a ton of anticipation for this. Um, I know a lot of people, myself included, are sort of trying to dodge spoilers on this one. So we're not going to get into any sort of spoiler-filled big, huge plot revelations or, or character cameos or anything like that. But um, broadly speaking, HD, what did you think about No Way Home? Spider-Man No Way Home is good. Um, I'm going to try to talk about this movie as much as I can without spoilers, uh, which is difficult because there's a lot to spoil in this film. But it's a really fun time. It's basically a movie that is uh, fan service, the film, but fan service that actually works because it uses that fan service to uh, not only you know pander to our nostalgia for the previous Spider-Man films directed by Sam Raimi and Mark Webb, uh, if you have any nostalgia for the Mark Webb films, um, but it also uses it to further the legacy of Spider-Man and also grapple with the legacy of Spider-Man in a metatextual way that I I really, really enjoyed. Um, so it's it feels very much like the end game of of Spider-Man, uh, not just for the Tom Holland movies, but for all the live-action Spider-Man movies that we've seen since the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire movies. So it's very satisfying. It's very exciting. It's very fun. Um, the first act, like the first 20 minutes, is a pretty cluttered mess, and it kind of has the very low-stakes energy to it that feels like it's trying to harken back to uh, Spider-Man uh, homecoming and sort of that teen John Hughes riff that um, John Watts uh, did really well, but uh, with the but then like once these the um, this things start coming together. <laughs> yes, yes, I love how you're dodging spoilers here. Much appreciated. <laughs> once the once the plot starts to really thicken and uh, come together, we not only get to see a really satisfying narrative for 
you know, the overarching Spider-Man of all, but also for Tom Holland's Spider-Man, who I feel like has really gotten the shaft even in, in his own solo films. You know, he's often like felt like he's been a supporting player even in his solo films like Homecoming and Far From Home, where he has to share top billing with another father figure slash mentor who sometimes might turn on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, even though it's a really crowded film, he actually does get an arc and an origin story of sorts that he kind of missed out on getting because he was introduced in such a haphazard way. So I really appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And I, I feel like it finally felt like him getting to have his his Spider-Man moment, you know, his, his origin, his existential crisis that we love to see in every Spider-Man movie. So there's that. <laughs> Well, that's that's good. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you because, you know, one of the my biggest concerns about this movie, even though I'm looking forward to it, is like, is this going to be, you know, uh, too crowded for its own good, right? I remember around the time that Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3 came out, there was a lot of talk about that movie being too crowded. And that feels like, uh, you know, child's play compared to what's going on here with all the different characters and moving parts and multiverses and all of the different, you know, clashing things happening at the same time. So it's good to hear that Tom Holland sort of makes it out the other side uh, and and sort of, uh, I don't know, composes himself well and, and actually like leaves a mark. Um, but what did you think about the, the, again, without spoiling, if you can, the swirl of like stuff that this movie has to contend with? Do you think that it handles all of that um, gracefully, effectively, etc.? I think it does to an extent, doesn't do it as well as it could, but there are, let me try, I'm trying to think of a way to, <laughs> to word this. Um, there are homages to the Sam Raimi films and even the Mark Webb films in ways that are loving and both a little self-effacing. Uh, I think I wrote this in my review, but um, No Way Home is at its best and its worst when it's borrowing from other films. Hmm. So it does it in a way that's really exciting and um, and is obviously has some affection for it, but also kind of because it comes from the Marvel school of of glib and and um, uh, irony and all and that. irony and and everything. There's a little bit of that that kind of uh, clashed with the operatic. Shakespeare-ness of the Raimi films. Uh, so there's a little of that, but for the most part, it pulls off really well. And it um, it uses that to its strengths. Okay. <laughs> Me well, trying I to really... parse my way around this. Yes. No, I love this. Um, HD. I'm, I'm really... <laughs> I'm, I'm can so I say thrilled. the name of actors who have already been confirmed for the film? Yes. Yes, of course. Willem Dafoe, the goat... <laughs> love him like oh gosh um literally slips into the to the role slips back into the role as if he never left and unlike alpha Molina, who i think goes through some sort of you know smoothing out process through cgi he looks exactly like defoe looks exactly the same and also picks up the exact same performance as he did in spider-man it's it's amazing and like it the way that the film uses him is excellent Oh, man. Okay. Well, I'm definitely excited about that. Uh, I was always <laughs> excited about the return of Willem Dafoe, but now uh, hearing that he's actually like uh, effectively used in this movie is really exciting. So I guess um, this may be getting a little bit too spoilery, but again, as broadly as possible, what did you think about uh, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson? I have to assume since uh, Spider-Man uh, um, Far From Home left off with this big reveal uh, where 
J. Jonah Jameson reveals Peter Parker's identity to the entire world that J.K. Simmons' uh, character is going to factor in some way here. Maybe you don't have to say like what he does or anything, but is he um, used well? And is, is he like in the movie a, a decent amount? You know, he actually is more of a supporting role than you might expect considering how much he appears in the marketing. Uh, I think he use, he's used more as like a narrative device than like a proper character. He, he pops up pretty frequently, but not in a way that really pertains so closely to the central plot. He's just kind of, you know, that J. Jonah Jameson character who shows up and you're like, oh, it's J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> I mean, he he does, he is effective at what he does and like, um, he, he's a great presence whenever he's on screen. That's awesome. Okay, so a couple more questions real quick before we wrap up. Uh, the John Watts of it all. I mean, he did you ever see Cop Car, the uh, sort of indie movie that he made before? I haven't. No, Spider-Man? I've only seen his Spider-Man movies. I th- oh, yes. I've only seen his Spider-Man movies, I think. Yeah, I enjoyed Cop Car when it came out. That was like 2015, 2016, something along those lines. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that movie. I'm, I was just curious what you made of, uh, of John Watts as a director. I know there's a lot of talk every time a new Marvel movie comes out about directors sort of feeling like they get sucked into the machine and and you know we're always curious about whether or not um you can sort of sense a little bit of uh of personality behind the camera did you did you get a sense of uh of john watts sort of like um inflicting any of his uh his interests or or or, um eccentricities here or does it just feel like this is a movie that's almost made by committee because there are so many things it has to contend with I mean, more so the latter, but I would I would say it's it's not as bad <laughs> as as just like a flatly made Spider Man movie because there is an energy and fun to it, and like when I what I said before about how sometimes it borrows from other films, um, sometimes it borrows visually from those films as well in ways that I think make the aesthetic of the film sort of inconsistent visually, but mm. it doesn't make it. It doesn't lessen the film, I don't think. Like there, there's a part where it gets very uh, Doctor Strange inspired and very mm-hmm. surreal, which I actually quite enjoyed. Um, so I, I, it's hard for me to say because I don't know Watts's work outside of the Spider-Man film, so I can't really put my finger on what exactly his style would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think I would, I would say he does a good job at holding it all together um, and kind of trying to bring in some of that low-key, low-stakes uh, teens movie elements that he had in the first Homecoming film, mm-hmm. um, although that kind of gets drowned out by everything else. But um, yeah, I, he does a good job. I, I can't. Yeah, I'm. I don't, I'm sorry. I can't really answer fully answer your question. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, I think he only made that one feature before mm-hmm. getting uh, sort of graduating to the MCU. So even even having seen Cop Car, I don't think that I could really like define to you what a John Watts movie like looks and feels like. I was just wondering if it. If, felt like, uh, you know, especially with like Chloe Shaw with Eternals, it's sort of mm-hmm. like she has a little bit of a style, a little bit of a, an aesthetic that you can sort of um, point to as hers. And and I was just curious if there was any, if this movie did anything that, that felt different uh, or distinct from, you know, some of the other uh, Marvel stuff, but yeah, totally fair. Um, okay. So final question for you, you mentioned uh, that this movie gets into the t- sort of dips into surreal territory. Uh, at times. And I was wondering about the Doctor Strange of it all. So Benef- Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, of course, reprising his role in this movie. And this is the first time he's been in a Spider-Man movie, even though those characters have interacted before in the Affinity War and 
Infinity War and Endgame. But um, what did you think about Benedict Cumberbatch in this movie? Is it, uh, it did it feel like oh this is just another instance of uh, of um, Tony Stark being in Homecoming and not really giving Peter his own movie? Did it feel like he was uh, an integral part of the story? What did you think? I'm trying to think about saying this without spoilers again. Okay. Um, he does play a, me- a father figure of sorts, but not to the extent that Tony Stark does. And he plays an, more of an obstacle uh, to Peter's narrative than anything. And he kind of, uh, apart from where he appears uh, primarily at the beginning, he kind of disappears for a large part of the film. Um, but the film is also, you know, very much in the... Sh- in the presence, in the, in the shadows of Doctor Strange and all everything he can do because it's his magic that unleashes the multiverse as we see. So um, I, I think he has a good pre- presence here. He doesn't overtake Spider-Man. He doesn't t- overtake Tom Holland. Um, oh, they have a good sort of um, dy- dynamic that that's going on and doesn't feel like it's like in Homecoming that Tony Stark mentoring Spider-Man show um Mm -hmm. i think it he he plays enough of a part while while stepping aside when he needs to and i think benard camp uh his performance is is also really fun he just gets increasingly irate throughout the film (laughs) so i i think yeah he he actually has a really good part to play in this film and um and adding to peter's journey versus taking away from it um and of course the movie is really, really leading up to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And you see a lot of that, especially in the latter half of the film. Gotcha. All right. Well, Spider-Man No Way Home comes out December 17th, which is this week. And then The Kingsman comes out on December 22nd, which is next, I think, a week from today, right? Or yes. Sometime soon. Wednesday. Yeah, next week. Uh, all right. So, yeah. Any closing thoughts on either of these, HT? Uh, it sounds like, I mean, the entire world is going to go see No Way Home regardless. It's not like you're uh, you're going to change anybody's mind here. But um, any any thoughts, you know, with a, a little bit of time after having seen and written about these things, anything that uh, that comes to mind? Yeah. Um, you know, prepare by watching a few of the Sam Raimi um, slash Tommy McGuire slash Andrew Garfield movies, maybe. Oh, OK. That's good. Good advice then. Yeah. I was not planning on revisiting those, but you think that's that's a, a wise move from uh, from a plot perspective, H.C., or, or more of just like getting back into the spidey of it all? I think both. Hmm. Intriguing. Okay. And then uh, I, I guess the same um, recommendation would, would probably not necessarily apply for uh, The King's Man, considering this is a prequel, or, or would it? Yeah, no, you can go into The King's Man without having seen the first two films. Okay. All right. Good to know. All right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. You can find more about these movies and I'm going to link to HT's reviews in the show notes. Uh, And yeah, find more of these movies. Uh, We've written a bunch of stuff about them and we'll continue to write a ton, especially about No Way Home in the coming days at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.